Crossing family, how are you guys doing today? You doing all right? I'm hoping so. I'm glad we're getting to hang out and have a little bit of fun today. I want you to do me a quick favor right here on the front end across all of our locations. Those of you online inside, it'll be a little bit maybe more challenging for you, but if you want to participate, we'd love to have you do it. Can I get you all to stand up for just a quick second? I appreciate it. We did this last week. We spent a little bit of time on the front end of the sermon just praying for one another, and I want to give us an opportunity to do that again today. And I know that last week there were many of you that not only did you raise your hand saying, yeah, Clayton, that's the situation I'm in, but you have the strength to go and actually pray over somebody else even though you had your hand raised. And I'm going to ask those of you who did that to summon the strength again this week because I have no doubt that there's going to be a lot of hands raised across all of our locations. Because what I want to do right now is I want to talk specifically to those of you who there is a family member in your life that does not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. It is a heavy burden that's on uh, your heart. You think about it a lot. You've maybe made a lot of invites, you've prayed a lot of prayers, and yet still uh, they don't have what you have in Jesus. Maybe it is a son or daughter, maybe it's a mother or father, maybe it's a brother or sister. And so right now, just uh, in a moment of vulnerability across all of our locations, if you have somebody in your family that you care about deeply that doesn't know Jesus, would you just put your hand up? Yeah, I'm in that same boat with you. And what I want you to do is leave your hand up for just a second, and I want to give people in our church an opportunity to come around side you. They're going to put their hand on your shoulder. Once they put your hand on your shoulder, um, I'm, going to, I'm going to pray. I'm going to give you guys three verses. But go ahead and move across all of our locations. Find some people with their hands up. Put your hand on their shoulder so that way we can pray over you. Because we want you to know you're not alone in this. I know for some of you this is a little uncomfortable. But this church, uh, we genuinely love you. So if you see hands up, once you've got someone putting their hand on your shoulder, put your hand down. I want to make sure I give staff and other people an opportunity to come around. we got a couple people over there. It would be awesome someone prayed with. There's somebody up here. God bless you. There's some people over there. Once someone's there with you, put your hand on them. Okay, I want to give you three verses, and then I'll pray. So you don't have to pray yet. Let me give you three verses. Because I know that sometimes when we're navigating this, we can feel like we're all alone. So let me give you a great one. John 3.16. You guys know this one. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God is so committed to loving the person in your life that you want to pray about, that he sent his son on their behalf. Here's the second verse, 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God is not slow. He is moving in this. And the last one, 1 Timothy chapter 2. I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Check out this. This is good and pleases our God and Savior, who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Would you guys pray with me? God, uh, it is such a pleasure to be able to approach you right now with these requests, because I am crying out to a God who loves all the people that we're thinking about infinitely more than we do, who cares about them infinitely more than we do, who wants them to find uh, Jesus infinitely more than we do. God, that you are not an enemy in this. You are the greatest ally. And God, I specifically pray that you would soften the hearts of those that are on our minds and God, that you would give us the courage and the strength to do what you call us to do, to open up the door for them to find your son, Jesus. And it is in Jesus' name that I pray. 
across all of our locations. Help me close it out. Amen. Man, I'm glad we get together together. You can go ahead and grab a seat. Thank you for doing that. I know it gets you a little bit out of your comfort zone, but I just I want to make sure that you know that we are in this with you. Well, we are in a sermon series called There Has to Be a Place. And last week we talked about there has to be a place for everyone, and it's going to take every one of us to make that happen. And we looked at this uh, graphic right here that uh, we're trying to help people start the relationship with Jesus, and we're trying to help people live out the relationship with Jesus. There might be minus fives, people who hate God, uh, hate church, don't even believe in God, and then you've got, you know, your grandma right over here. And that as a church, we have a responsibility, a spiritual responsibility to everybody on this continuum, to those who are far from Jesus and to those who have been following Jesus for a long time. And then we also recognize that we have a spiritual obligation to our region and that what we want to do, this is what our church looks like from space, and that our hope is to make this region and whatever God grows it to be the hardest place on earth to get to hell from and that it's going to take each and every single one of us to make that a reality. Well, this week I entitled my message, There Has to Be a Place That Gives People Time. Everybody say, it takes time. Uh, You may not know this. But uh, there's some people right now that they are in diaper hell. And they are putting food in one end and it is constantly coming out the other end. And they feel like all they do is change diapers. And they're looking at you and they're going, when is this ever gonna end? And those of us who've been there, we could look at them lovingly and we would say to them, it takes time, right? And then there's some of you, you're out of diaper stage. Never thought you'd get there. And you thought it'd get easier after that, but it didn't. Because then you're trying to dress these kids and they have their own opinions. You haven't been on time in years. You don't even know what the first two songs at church sound like. You just keep coming in when I'm on stage. You're like, I guess he's singing now. I guess, yeah, I, I, I get it. And you try to get your kids dressed every morning. And every morning, it's as if your kids forgot that they've been dressed every morning of their life. Like, socks don't go on your face. What is your deal like, how, how did you forget how to put pants on? But, and you're going, how long is this going to last? And those of us who've been there, we would look at them and we would say, it takes time, right? Uh, right now, I'm in the middle of potty training a dog. And uh, I keep hearing people say that dog is man's best friend. Nope. I can tell you I'm that dog's best friend, Okay. Because I, I've never had a friend as good as I am to that dog. I've never seen anybody pick up my poop. Not once. Not once. I let him poop in my yard. You've never let me poop in your yard. This dog has it easy. Okay? And no matter what happens, he doesn't get blamed for the problem. <laughs> it's my fault. Because I didn't take him out fast enough or fill in the blank. And I was talking to Lindsay about potty training the dog. And Lindsay looked at me. And you know what she said to me. It takes time. Ladies, you, um, you know, you met your husband, and he says it was love at first sight. But it wasn't commitment at first sight, was it, ladies? You may have liked the way he looked. It was nice to talk to him. But if he had got down on his knee on night one, you would have walked away. He had to wear you down, didn't he? And eventually he got down on one knee, and you said yes. And the reason you said yes is because, well... It takes time. 
And fellas, you can back me up on this. You can want some ribs, but they don't come out as fast as a hamburger. And you can want some brisket, but you can't smoke a brisket as fast as you can cook a steak. And if you're looking, you ain't cooking. Because if you want some good, delicious ribs, well, church, you know the answer to this. It, uh, what does it do? Yeah, it takes time. And in a world of microwaves and Pop-Tarts, K-Cups and high-speed internet, we can get pretty impatient. And I wonder if you're like me, that you bring, uh, you hope that the first time you make an invitation, a person will come to church with you. And the first time they come to church and the very first time that they hear a sermon, that people would respond. However, oftentimes, well, you know the answer. It takes, say it with me, yeah, it takes time. And there's this cool story in the Bible that for years I misread. I didn't misread the story. I misread the events surrounding the story. And my hope is that at the end of this message, you will have some hope. That this will encourage you to be faithful and continue in your commitment to investing in the people that God has placed in your life. Let's look at this story. Luke chapter 5. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and he asked him to put out a little from shore, and then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Now, Jesus is there on the Sea of Galilee, and I know that some of you are going, but Clayton, you just called it the lake of Gennesaret. I'm confused. I can't trust the Bible. What do I do? So actually the Sea of Galilee goes by other names too. It also goes by the Sea of Tiberias. It has multiple names, kind of like the Mississippi, right? Uh, I bet you, maybe you guys know this. It's also called the Father of Waters. Um, and it used to be called Old Blue, which I think it was named by a blind man because uh, I've never looked at the Mississippi and gone, now that's blue, okay? Uh, here's another funny one. We call it Old Muddy, but guess what? That's not the Mississippi. That's the Missouri, but we just were like, eh, ours is muddy too, so we'll call it Big Muddy. Okay, so we're in the same geographic region that we were talking about last week, the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus is preaching to a group of people, and the group of people are crowding around him, and his ankles touch the water. And so he goes, I know what I'll do. I'm going to hop in Simon Peter's boat. And he pushes out from shore, and he turns it into a makeshift amphitheater where his voice would bounce off of the waters and get captured by the thousands of hills surrounding the Sea of Galilee so everybody could hear him. And so he gets out there and he preaches. Let's keep going in the story. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. Now let's zero in on Peter for a little bit. Let me help you see him through 21st century eyes. Um, Peter is a blue collar baller. He's got his camo cargo shorts on, he's got his Crocs and four wheel drive. He's got a salt life fishing shirt on with Maui Jim sunglasses, okay? He's the kind of guy who has, he's a small business owner who drives a brand new F-350 with his company's logo vinyled on the side. He has strong, thick, calloused hands, a windburnt face, and a set of shoulders and biceps that are accustomed to carrying heavy loads. He spent time in high school playing fullback as well as middle linebacker and got offers from D2 schools. 
This is the kind of guy who gets up early, works hard because that's what he's done his whole life. It's all he knows. Make no mistake, he's not fishing for fun or on vacation. This isn't him chartering something. This is his business, and people depend on him. And he's been working the whole night and has nothing to show for it. Have you ever been there? You worked real hard, and you've got nothing to show for it. You created a to-do list on Friday of all the things you'd like to have done by Sunday. And Sunday comes, and you got nothing to show for it. You, you, you are going, you know what, this week we're gonna get these things dialed in. Or you've had a whole bunch of stuff on your agenda and you ran errands all day long and got nothing done. You're working on a project at home and you keep going to Home Depot and picking out all of the wrong things. And you get there and none of them fit and so you drive back. You've got nothing to show for it. Well, he just finished cleaning his nets. This is the worst part of his job. Made only worse by the fact that he got them dirty and he didn't even catch anything. He still has to clean up the mess even though he made no money. But because Jesus told him to throw out into the deep water, he does. It looks what happens. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled the, uh, both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, this is Simon Peter, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for, everybody say this word, for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore. They left, say this word, and followed him. It was in this moment that Peter made the move to follow Jesus. I think it's interesting to note, he'd had other nights where he hadn't caught fish. But he chose to follow Jesus on his best day, not his worst day. He decided to follow Jesus after the windfall, not the downfall. He didn't follow Jesus on the heels of a divorce after getting arrested, after a fight with his kids. No, this was actually a great day and he left it all and he followed Jesus. And for so long, I thought that this moment with Jesus was Peter's first time hanging out with Jesus. And that's kind of how I thought it was gonna be for me that I would bring a friend, I would bring a family member, and the first time they heard it, they would go, yeah, this is, this, I'm all in. But it was in some deeper study and reading a couple things, I noticed that there was actually more going on here. This was not just Peter's first interaction with Jesus or just a couple moments surrounding it. In fact, that Peter had been watching Jesus for a long time now. You see, Peter was one of John's disciples. When I say John's disciples, I mean John the Baptist's disciples. Which means more than likely, Peter was there when Jesus was baptized and the clouds parted and a dove descended and God said, this is my son in whom 
I'm well pleased. That's my God voice. Peter would have heard that. And he went back to fishing. More than likely, Peter was there when Jesus cleansed the temple and claimed ownership over that by saying, my father's house. And after that happened, guess what Peter did? He went back to fishing. He was there when Jesus ministered to the the Samaritan woman at the well and told her everything that she had ever done and watched her go into the town and all the people come out where Jesus says, look, the fields are har- or the fields are full, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And guess what Peter did? He went back to fishing. He was there when Jesus healed uh, all the people in Judea, and Peter went back to fishing. He was there when Jesus turned water into wine, and Peter went back to fishing. It wasn't until the miraculous catch that Peter left everything and followed. Jesus. Say it with me. Sometimes it takes all you see it. I mean, the crazy thing is I know this because I've seen this happen in other people's lives. That sometimes it takes time. Uh, When I was up at our Macomb location, there was an event where we paired college students with high school kids so that way they could have a mentor. And at the event, my wife met a young WIU student named Lisa. Now, uh, Lisa ended up talking to Jennifer about some of the pain of her past. She had lost her mom when she was about 10 years old. She had a, a rough relationship with her father and was believing a lot of lies. And so they started meeting on a regular basis And over the course of those meetings, Jennifer said to Lisa, I love you. And Lisa said, yeah, I don't know how to take that. And Jennifer's like, okay, well, can I, you know, can I say that uh, I like you? And Lisa was like, nah. Jennifer's like, okay, can I say I, I care about you? No. They eventually settled on, my wife was allowed to look at Lisa and say, I know you. Okay. So they would end their meetings with my wife looking at Lisa and saying, I know you. And Lisa would say to my wife, I know you too. Well, uh, eventually Lisa kind of fell onto some hardships and she was worried that she was not gonna be able to stay at Western Illinois because of financial challenges. And so my wife offered up our house for Lisa to come move in with us. And so that September, Lisa moved into our house and she continued to live with us. And then when Jennifer and I moved down here to Quincy, she moved out of our house and she moved into Ben and Jessica Elifritz's house in Macomb. And Lisa's a good godly girl and she's trying to do things the right way, just navigating the hardships of life, which we've all been there. Well, uh, she was continuing to grow and things were going good and then she met Don. Now, um, I have to say this about Don. Don is as good of a man as you can find. Genuinely, a a man full of integrity and honor, unbelievably respectful, just a good, good man. But he's an atheist. And Lisa cared about him, and they were dating. And so Don would hang out with uh, her and, you know, we would talk and Don's been here to our 48th Street campus and he would go to our Macomb location and we would talk to him and we would answer questions and we would read books and we would talk through sermons and for a long, long time, we, I tried 
to help him find a relationship with Jesus. But he, like I said, he's a good man and he has integrity. He's not going to fake the funk. Like he's not going to say he believes when he doesn't believe. Well, eventually he comes down to Quincy and asks Jennifer and I for permission to marry Lisa. And he asks Ben and Jessica for permission to marry Lisa. And I'm looking and going, this, is, this really is just an unbelievably good man. And we told him that. But the fact that she has a faith and the fact that he has no faith was going to put some serious challenges inside of that relationship. And we go, and you can't just pretend to love Jesus for the sake of being in a relationship with a girl. That's, that's not right. And he's not the kind of guy that would do that anyway. Well, as they continued to journey along, they, he started spending more and more time with Ben Elifritz, and eventually they were getting ready to move out to the East Coast, and they didn't want to live together and not be married, so Ben Elifritz did a private ceremony where they got married, and then they went out um, East. And they continued to meet together, or with Ben on a regular basis. Now, I need to pause and say this real quick. Um, and Ben would tell you this. That when it comes to the Bible, like I'm smarter than him. That's the only thing I'm smarter than Ben at. But this is it. And I know that, I, I mean, that's what I went to school for. That's what I studied uh, theology for. And Ben didn't do that. But I need you to know, it wasn't my conversations that were making all the difference in Don's life. It was Ben's. That sometimes your relational credibility is more important than your theological credibility. Here's what I'm trying to say. I know that sometimes you're going, man, if I could just have my friend talk to Clayton or talk to Jerry, or if, you know, if they're busy, maybe talk to a campus pastor. And if they're busy, I'll talk to another pastor. If they're busy, I'll talk to a staff member. And what I want to tell you is, no, you can talk to them. Some of my greatest journeys of faith have been when I've been trying to answer somebody else's question. Now, I need you to hear me say this. I am not your pastor. I am one of your pastors, and I am surrounded by campus pastors and other pastors and staff members, and I'm surrounded by you. And you can pastor. You can pastor your home, you can pastor your family, you can pastor your street or your block, you can pastor your school, you can pastor your workplace, and you can pastor the people at this church. It's in you. God has purposed you and equipped you and will sustain you in those moments. He makes it possible where he will come and he will intercede for you and help you in those moments as you try to help someone find a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so Don and Ben keep meeting and meeting and meeting and meeting. And then this past Thanksgiving, the Thanksgiving where I filled the trailer full of a whole bunch of food to cook for my family. On Friday, there's a whole bunch of people at my house, and I had been hearing a rumor, but I didn't want to, like, you know, mess it up by saying about anything about it too soon. And that afternoon, before we cooked pork chops that evening, seven vehicles loaded up at my parents' house. And we left Fort Madison, Iowa, and we drove down the big hill and went over the two bridges. We hopped on the highway and we drove to our Keokuk campus. I'm so glad we have a Keokuk campus just 15 miles from my parents' house because on that Friday, right after Thanksgiving, this happened. Say it with me. Sometimes, sometimes, sometimes it takes, it takes time. Now, I should have known that because that's what happened to me. You know, I didn't say yes to Jesus the first day I heard about him either. 
You know, there was a, I went to Fort Madison Christian Church and there was a lady by the name of Dell. All I can remember is that she wore a tie-dye church volleyball shirt. And she had white hair. She worked at the Schaefer Pen Company for many years. And she had uh, black, dark-rimmed glasses. And she taught me about Jesus from kindergarten through sixth grade. And I didn't get serious about Jesus. And she didn't do it uh, once a month or every other week. You know what she did? Every Sunday for Sunday school, she taught me the word of God. When I got into junior high and high school, a man by the name of Ken Morrow, an electrical engineer who was before his time, in 1985, he had programmed a device that he could start his car when he was in the church service while his car was parked in the parking lot. 1985, folks. He also had it on that same thing that he could turn on all the lights in his house and control the thermostat at his house. He also did all of that wiring for the church all on his little device that he made. But that's not what impressed me about him. It was that every single Sunday he taught me the book of Acts. January to December, he taught us the book of Acts, and then when January, we started back at Acts chapter one. At the end of every month, he gave us a quiz on the chapters we had covered. And if you got all the answers right, you got $3. And if you got most of the answers right, you got $2. And if you showed up, you got a dollar. And I got a lot of dollars. And he continually invested in me, and I still didn't follow Jesus but they continued to work and invest in my life because sometimes it takes, you know this. And there has to be a place that gives people time. There needs to be a group of people who will give and start giving to make sure that the lights are on, the water's running, the toilet paper's restocked, the staff employed, and the communion juice fresh because sometimes it takes time. And there has to be a place that will love on their kids, greet them at the door, say hi to them at the welcome center, put their hands on them during a prayer, fist bump them at the door as they walk in the auditorium, helps with the leading of the worship, the running of the graphics, the playing of the instruments, and gets down on their knees and bangs on heaven's door for them at the steps. There has to be a church, a place that will step into the mess that's long-suffering, patient with their questions, caring in their approach, rooted in truth, covered in grace. There has to be a place. There has to be a place for people like you and me to give other people the same amount of grace that God and others have given to us. Listen, you might say you love the people around you and you might say you love your communities. And if that's true, it shouldn't catch us as surprise that when it describes love in 1 Corinthians 13, the very first descriptor is love is patient. And we've been in a rush trying to get it done today when that's not how it worked with us. That means that there's gonna be times when people are gonna come to our church and say that they're a part of us and they're gonna act a fool and make mistakes and we're gonna be a church that gives them time. And there's gonna be a time when people come to church and they don't believe the things that we believe and they don't act the way that we would act and we're gonna be a church that gives people time because that's what God did with us. We can get in such a hurry to get people to find a relationship with Jesus Christ that we forget what happens in the parable of the sower. You know the seed that sprouted the fastest? 
was also the seed that died the fastest. It sprang up from within the rocks, but because it had no root, it withered and died. But the seed that actually produced the biggest harvest came up last. Farmers, you go out and you plant your corn. Do you go out the next day to dig it up to see how it's doing? No. You know that if you're a farmer, if you want to raise a really good crop, it takes time. But when it comes up, it produces a harvest of 30, 60, and 100 fold. We have to be a church that gives people time. Look what it says in Galatians. Let us not become weary in doing good. Let me just stop for a second. I know that's not easy. I know some of you, that is exactly where you're at. You are weary right now. How long am I supposed to be patient with a spouse that doesn't believe? How long am I supposed to invite a kid that won't come? How long am I supposed to serve somebody who doesn't seem to appreciate it? How long am I supposed to keep doing good? I'm weary, I'm tired, I'm frustrated, I'm hurt, I'm mad. Let us not become weary in doing good. Why? For at the, everybody say this word. Not your time. Not my time. Not your time. Not my time. But at the proper time, there's a promise. We will reap a harvest. If we do not say these two words, there has to be a place that doesn't give up and that gives people time because when it's the proper time, you can't stop it. When it's the proper time, Satan can't get in the way of it. When it's the proper time, it will happen. And we, people who have received profound grace from God, who he has been patient and long-suffering with us, have got to be a people who can be patient and long-suffering with others. There has to be a place that gives people time. And I say it's here. I say it's with us. And I say it's now. Would you join me in creating that place? We're moving to a time of decision. Now, those of you watching online and in the room, I know right now some of you are a little ticked. And that's fair. Because you're going, Clayton, I brought a friend today that I was really hoping you would close the deal on. And you just gave them an infamous permission slip. I get it. So let me be clear. Just because I say this is gonna be a place that gives people time, we are gonna preach the gospel with urgency. And every single week we are gonna give people an opportunity to step into that intimate personal relationship with Jesus Christ, because it's time. And I don't know when they're gonna meet Jesus or when Jesus is gonna meet them, but I wanna make sure that I've done everything in my power to make sure that they are ready for that moment. Because when it's the right time, you know, last week, a lot of churches would close when it's, uh, our church will never close when there's bad weather out. 
You don't have to come. You can watch online. Thousands of other people will do it. But you know why we were open? People gave their life to Jesus last week. Because when it's time, it's time. And you can't stop it. And we're going to be a place that gives people that time, even on a cold, icy day. And so to those of you in here who've never started an intimate, personal relationship with Jesus Christ, can I talk to you for a bit? I know you've got questions. I know you've got doubts. And I just want to tell you something. Uh, I do too. I do too. I don't have everything figured out about an infinite God with my finite brain. I got questions. And there are things about him that I struggle with, and there are things about him I don't understand. But believe it or not, sometimes it's those doubts and those questions that have driven me further in my faith, not caused my faith to dwindle. And you're on, but Clayton, you're wanting me to give my whole life to something I don't completely understand. I hear you. Uh, but you've done it before. Fellas, I'm going to need your help. Fellas, at all, uh, raise your hand if you've figured women out. <laughs> Only the single people raise their hands right then. <laughs> Fellas, do they raise a lot of questions to you? Are there things about them that don't make sense? You don't get it? You're scratching your head trying to understand? Because let's just be honest, you are never gonna understand a woman. But raise your hand if you're thankful you got one in your life. Come on, that'll preach right there. I didn't know everything I needed to know about Jennifer, but I knew enough to know that I wanted her in my life for the rest of my life. There were things that I still don't get there are things that still frustrate me. There are things that we just don't see eye to eye on, but I wouldn't trade her for anything. I didn't have everything figured out about women, but I knew I wanted one. And I didn't have everything figured out about her, but I knew that I didn't want to keep living without her. And I'll tell you, the parallels between that and my relationship with God are so scary close that I don't have everything figured out about him but I don't want to spend a day without him. I don't know why he does some of the things that he does, but I wouldn't trade him for anything. And there are things about him where I scratch my head and I wonder and I doubt. But I am so profoundly thankful that he's mine. And if you're in this room and what I just said is your testimony too, would you put your hand up? It's the truth. I don't know everything about him, but I know that he's good. And I know that his mission is worth it. And if you're in here today and you're going, Clayton, all right, all right, next week. I'll start my relationship with him next week. I just want you to know you can do it today. We're gonna give you the time. If you have questions, come up and talk to us. We'd love to help answer them. Some of you are going, you know what, it's time for me to get baptized, but you know, I gotta come back next week, I can bring my clothes. Uh, we're kind of church that makes space for people like you. We already got clothes. Like, okay, you buy, but, but you don't have my size. Oh no, we got every size. That's how much, that's this, this, that's this place, that's our heart. 
And if that's you, we'd love a chance to talk to you and help make that happen. To the rest of you in here that already have a relationship with Jesus, I'm gonna be super easy with you. I'm gonna ask you to just, just do one thing. During this next song, would you come down, maybe up here to the steps or maybe by the baptistry or maybe you wanna go by one of the walls or maybe you just wanna get down on a knee right where you're at, but there are people in your life, you raised your hand already, that don't know Jesus yet. I just want you to pray two prayers. God, would you soften their heart? Soften their heart, God. And then the second prayer, but would you strengthen mine? Strengthen my heart because I don't want to become weary in doing good. Strengthen my heart because I may be the, I may be the Bible that they read. Strengthen my heart because my life is going to be a light in there, and I hope that that points them to Jesus. God, uh, strengthen my heart because there's going to be times where it's hard to live for you in front of them, and I'm going to need your strength to do so. God, soften theirs, but strengthen mine. And man, I, I think if there was a church that was trying to become a place that gives people time, those are exactly the kind of prayers that we would pray. Would you join me in that? Would you stand? Heavenly Father, man, you know every thought, every feeling, every burden, every tear that is in this room right now. And God, you know what this church could become. You know the people that could be reached and changed and saved and blessed. You know, you know the true power of this moment. And God, I pray that right now, if there are people in this room that have been putting off that relationship with you, God, I pray that they would make that move today. And God, for the rest of us in this room, I pray that as we get down on our knees and as we pray those two prayers, that you would do a work in us. God, against our will, if necessary, Make this a place that gives people time. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.